0: How's it going guys? I'm Zeke. And I am Jay, And you're listening to the Cinema Show Podcast, episode 109.
1: 109 on the flip side. The way he did it was a little gangster-y.
0: I am wearing glasses right now, Sunny's I've gotten too cool for this show. (laughs) Um, No, it's because you've been doing some painting in our little uh, studio room. Yeah, it's it's all blue now. It's really sick. It's really Um, nice. But obviously there there isn't a curtain on your window and I'm looking straight. At you, so yeah, yeah. So you're, you've got I'm, I'm pretty... facing
1: the door, and you're facing out the window yes. with zero, uh, what's the word, restriction
0: or, yeah. yeah, you've got a real harsh backlight going. There you right go. M- much like film the, terms, much like
1: the protagonist of the film of the week. It's very harsh. Actually, backlight. yeah, that's yeah, true. Very.
0: There's a lot of that. Um, <laughs> but before we get to the film, of the yeah, week, exactly. Before you've got another film for me. I got a
1: quote for you. Yeah. From a
0: 2009
1: film, episode 109. I'm mm-hmm. 6
0: and 2 right now. You
1: were 6 to 2. You're doing very, very well. Mm. I Is it possible for you to get a high distinction? It is.
0: I have to get both right. But
1: you have to get both this week and next week right. And then we swap. Yep. Then we're back to you quoting me, which is very...
0: Moving to the 2010s. Indie. You would
1: have a score, or 8 to 2, so duh, you would have a score of 80%. So if yes. you get this week right and next week right, you get a HD I'm striving for Very it. Very excited. <laughs> I haven't had
0: one of those in a long time.
1: <laughs> Alright, Zeke. Were you ready for your 2009 quote? Yes. Alright. These are two characters, by the way. She's wearing my grandmother's Holocaust ring. The one I was going to give to Melissa. You remember my grandmother's Holocaust ring. I didn't know they gave out rings at the Holocaust. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Have I seen this film? Yeah,
1: yeah. I actually have a second quote, if you want me to jump into that one as well. Yeah, maybe, yeah. yeah. Okay, the yeah. other quote is actually the same character with the zinger at the end. You probably get this a lot. This isn't the real Caesar's Palace, is it? Yeah. Uh... Ah, <laughs> oh, damn it, it got you.
0: Um, this is the 2009 film, The Hangover.
1: Indeed, it, it is The Hangover by Todd Phillips. Yes. Probably people's favourite Todd Phillips film. <laughs>
0: Well, least divisive, for yeah, sure. Yeah,
1: that's a good point, actually. Mm. A lot of people don't like Joker. but um, Seven and
0: two. Seven
1: to two. There you go. Congratulations. With the slight assist. Yeah, look, I actually did have two quotes prepped. And, of course, the other think one is... I the Caesar
0: is, Palace one is not as... It's not one of the go-to one-liners from that. No, it's um,
1: not. And neither is the Holocaust one. But I was trying to throw you off a little bit. In all fairness, though... Well, it's actually funny, because, obviously, that scene is an exchange between... Ed Helms' character, mm-hmm. who's in a show that you've been watching recently, mm-hmm. and also mm-hmm. uh, the character you play Melissa, who's mentioned in the quote, is also in a film that I watched this week.
0: There you go. So uh, they're going to come up crisscross. Through well, we cross. might as well move into maybe what films you have caught in mm. the last week.
1: Well, the film I was referring to was Boogie Nights. I finally yes.
0: watched Boogie Nights this week. Obviously, uh, the film we'll be discussing later on is a PTA film. Um, so mm. you've just gone through and combed a couple of the knocked a couple more of those PTA films off your. Well, list. Unfortunately,
1: unfortunately, this was the only one. Okay. Because I've been busy. I've been doing stuff. You know, we're getting this room painted and everything. I've had mm-hmm. some work to do. So I only. The Reno g- work. Yeah, exactly. So this was the only one that I caught. I still haven't seen Magnolia, or oh, I think it's Hard Eight. That's his directorial debut, mm-hmm. I believe. Um, and you mentioned this Inherent Vice. Neither of us have seen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've knocked Your right, Boogie Nights off the list, and I thought it was very excellent Mm -hmm. um like i said in the little letterbox review i think it just it's another example of like how consistent paul thomas anderson's filmography is it's just every Mm -hmm. film he does is just like so great and usually i think his later films it's more to do and we're going to talk about this in the film of the week how it's mostly reliant on just the storytelling and the performances Mm -hmm. usually a great film like you know you look at the godfather where the performances are great and the storytelling is great. And that's sort of all it needs to carry the story. And it's like, yeah, there's great editing and and the music's incredible, but it's like a lot of it sort of fades in. A lot of it is sort of done to not be noticed in a way. Mm -hmm. And I think for PTA's earlier films, including Boogie Nights, I think he had a better scope of like all the filmic terms where I think the editing was a little more obvious, but in a great way. But it's like, Oh wait, that was a great edit. That was a great cut. Um, his casting, in particular, obviously Mark Wahlberg as the lead, which for me, I think he's the only one that's not great in the film. And the the film has its cast is yeah top look, level. To
0: kind of, I actually think he's really good in it, but obviously he does have the the of limitations that a lot mm. of people have commented on Wahlberg's acting. I don't think. He is the strongest of actors, just period. Right. And I think what they did with him is they utilised... You know, I feel like he's more limited range pretty well. Mm. Um, he's definitely complemented by the people, the amazing cast around him, for right. sure. Whereas something like Magnolia, it's there's not a single... In terms of that ensemble cast, there's not a single real weakest link. It's easy mm. to be like, well, I think... Mark Wahlberg's the weakest link. It's kind of a safe assumption that when he's surrounded by people like, you know, Julia Morris, John C. Riley, um, Don Cheadle, Bert Reynolds, you know, it's like, there's an, there's some real, Alfred
1: Molina. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Um, and, um, yeah. So it's like a really strong cast. Yeah. Um, so obviously it's a little tough sometimes when, um, we have scenes, and I think that's why he's always paired with one of them at some point in time in a scene. It always, I, I funny enough, he's playing a character that's new to an acting world, mm. and sort of his arrogance gets the better of him. And in those earlier scenes, particularly that scene with Julia Morris, where like they're kind of. Going back and forth on his first adult film set yeah. experience, it's like that's kind of a what it feels like a metaphor for a lot of his performance throughout it. Whether it's Burt Reynolds carrying him through a scene or Morris or, or John mm. C. Riley in the latter parts of the film too.
1: Yeah, I think I think you're definitely right because I I made a point of saying like I don't think he's wholly strong in the film. I agree where I think his character is more versatile than his acting ability is. Like the scenes when like he's going off at his mum and he's crying, he's getting kicked out of the house. I just kind of didn't buy that so much. I just like hey, you get the is, happening. It's a little the yeah, exactly. Ghost of the happening little, coming. Yeah, it's like the delivery is not spot on. But again, I like, I do like his casting though. In the same way that you know Ben Affleck is in The Way Back, in the same way Michael Keaton is in Birdman, like the actual casting decision. Mm-hmm. You're right to put someone who's new to acting in this role where the character is also new to this world of performance. It makes perfect sense, and mm-hmm. I really I really like that. But again, it's like. Going back to those filmic elements, you know, this uh, the, the energy of a Scorsese film is in this film. Yep. This feels like Goodfellas and Casino and, like, 90s Scorsese. And I mean, because obviously PTA wrote the film and directed it, he wasn't going to write it and then give it to Scorsese. He was definitely going to
0: do it himself. You could definitely see um, Scorsese taking a film like this. Song. Absolutely, um, yeah. Um, especially with what we know now with, obviously, films like Wolf of Wall Street and stuff, you know, something that's kind of raunchy that has moments of real darkness it's mm. it's got it does it, have a lot of parallels to all wall street yeah for sure
1: and there's a rise and fall to it in this ca- i mean you just swap it out for anything it's the rise and fall of the gangster it's the rise and fall you know of you know wall street it's the rise and fall in this case of the golden age of the porn industry mm-hmm. and but what i like is that there is that coming of age element where all of the characters they come of age in the film like they simply do mm-hmm. and i think that's wonderful And I I just really like, you know, scenes where, you know, when when Mark Wahlberg is talking about, you know, his name is Dirk Diggler and and the neon lights, like, explode from the thing. There's just little artistic choices. I'm like, I really like that. And it's like, I don't think those would work so much in, like, There Will Be Blood, Mm -hmm. The Master. I think those films definitely work for their very straight, filmic, you know, no flair whatsoever approach. Yeah. But I'm glad that they exist in these earlier PTA films, but... Yeah, I thought Boogie Nights was excellent. So there you go. I'm
0: glad you enjoyed it. Mm. It's probably, I think it is my highest rated. That or There Will Be Blood. I think my okay. There Will Be Blood, I think, is my highest rated. But it's definitely second, I think. But all mm. of my PTA, I don't think I, I've, a single PTA film I've watched has not got less than four stars from me. So mm. um, Very consistent filmography. Mm, yeah, exactly. Um, so I only caught, I think, one other film than the film of the week. Um, I've definitely been sticking with, not saying i haven't watched anything though um i mean
1: you've been watching a lot of tv
0: yeah I'm, i've been keeping the tv flare going um in terms of what i've been watching i caught um a 2016 film by a theodore melfi hidden figures um
1: oh yeah I've, I've heard a lot about hidden figures but i haven't seen it
0: i have actually um seen another one of um the films from uh Melfi. I did see Saint Vincent, also, um, not in my last last year, but the year before, um, which was Mm. a um, a film that starred Bill Murray, and I really enjoyed that film. Um, But they're the only two I've caught. Um, This film was really solid. Um, It's a really you know really heartwarming sort of social justice, political drama sort of film um, about some of the the African American ladies maybe. that worked for uh for NASA and um it was really good. There was really solid performances in there. Um it was just a really sort of consumable, enjoyable watch. Very well you know, very well made. I, I think it got a lot of positive praise when it came out and mm-hmm. um got a lot of award buzz I think. Um and I know I think it did get a couple of nominations. It might have um, yeah. I have to double check on that. But that's the only film uh, I've caught in the last week. But yeah, like you had said, I have been watching shows or concluding shows. I concluded The Office this week. Um, well done nine seasons in the bag. Um, I think that show in that those ladder that, that ladder thirty five or so episodes from nine, and it's it's. Clearly, they're in a we're wrapping up sort of nosedive. Mm. I think the film, I do think the day that that show started that slow decline to its end um, was when obviously Michael left. And it's pretty, Mm. uh, it's interesting because it's like it's not a character that I was honestly that much of a fan of, but he really does have quite a a spinal connection to the show. Right. I think without him, I think the show becomes slightly more diminishing the longer it goes on. It has a really good ending, though. so Okay.
1: Uh, yeah, because I, I still haven't finished. I'm about I'm getting towards the halfway point of Season 8. Um, again, I don't watch it that regularly, so mm. that's why I'm taking my time with it. But uh, I know kind of how it ends. It does sound cool. It does mm. sound like they knew what they were doing in terms of wrapping it up. And uh, But, you know, I guess we'll get to that yeah. one day. when I, I know when a lot of the order.
0: problems came from things like Ed Helm's had to go away for periods of time for, hango- yeah. for hangover related um, stuff. I think it's part three. So that he can
1: make more quotes about Holocaust rings. Um,
0: <laughs> and you know, it's you could clearly see that that was sort of the... Some people think that the James Spader character uh, of Robert California was a bit of a misdirective character. I don't think I actually that like him
1: a lot. Because I was reading that before he came on the show. I was like, oh no, he's going to bug the crap out of me. I actually kind of really enjoyed yeah, I, that. Yeah. Honestly, show. I
0: would say the the character that bugged me the most was like early Michael Scott or early Ed Helms's character, Andy, like mm. Andy in that early, was just unbearable. They like,
1: kind of both went for a transitional thing. Yeah, uh, Where Andy comes back from the anger management and they sort of rewrite him a bit and, mm. and tweak t- him. Yeah. They tweak him. And same with Steve Corral. He became a bit uh, easier on, on, on the audience. Consumer, guess, yeah, yeah, for sure. by the second season.
0: Um, I don't know, you can kind of see that it, it feels like it's lacked a li- it just lacks a bit of that now. And I think some characters, their story is... I think the thing with, you know, at the end of the day, the through lines, Jim and Pam, and their story mm. really does come to an end at the same time Michael leaves the show. They've got kids, they're married, they're very comfortable. There's not really mm. any sort of tension. And I, I think it's something that they've actually even talked about with Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I think that that through line of the show that they've now reached with you know the central romance of that show because it's the same writer like the the guy who wrote the like who wrote who wrote and developed the the u.s office has oh, gone um, on to develop
1: the showrunner
0: yeah one of the showrunners. yeah i'm
1: blanking on the name now
0: um that he he or she yeah they've went on to develop parks and rec and now brooklyn Nine Nine. so it's um Definitely, they've talked about, like, the problem is the reliance on that quartet of characters, and when you've satisfied that quartet, all the other characters, their one-notedness becomes a bit... Because when Michael left, a lot of those one-note characters had to start developing more, and there just wasn't enough, like, to compensate, because not only Michael left the show, you know, Jim and Pam's arc completely finished, so it... I could see what the rationale is there, whereas in the future shows like Brooklyn Nine Nine, everyone's a bit more balanced. There's a bit mm. more, uh, like, there's more sufficiency, like from like more depth in every character, which means the show can go for longer because you can do more with it. Yeah, and I see that rationale for sure. Are um, those
1: shows shorter as well? I think they're mostly shorter than nine
0: seasons so far. Brooklyn Nine Nine is gonna have eight. Okay, they're doing their eighth now, aren't they? Eighth, and it's going to be the last one, so they okay. won't get to nine. But right. eight but seasons is still a stronger. And Parks and Rec, I think, was six. Right. So.
1: The uh, the guy I'm thinking of is Greg Daniels. Is that who you're thinking of, or the showrunner?
0: I think he's. I think it's someone else. If I'm not sure, okay. So one of the writers. Maybe.
1: Um, well, a lot of the writers in The Office are the cast. A lot mm. of the cast just write the episodes and, and direct them. Might a lot, have been too. the showrunner though. Maybe. Yeah, right. Um I've also got here from Hidden Figures. It did get nominated for three Academy Awards. Olivia Spencer for Best Supporting Actress, uh, Best Adapted Screenplay and Best Picture. So there you go.
0: It's good. It's really mm. good. Um I really yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um so the other shows I've I've caught, I've actually watched all three seasons in one week of Cobra Kai. Jesus Christ. Which is um <laughs> I don't know how to describe it, right? Because I've, I've committed that sacrilegious thing where I haven't watched The Karate Kid or any of that trilogy. I told you to watch the movies first. And so I, I, I honestly, anything. look, now <laughs> I've finished season three, I will definitely be putting a conscientious effort into watching all three films, even though I've heard the second and the third film are atrocious compared to the first. Atrocious, all right. Dude, the third one's got 15% of Rotten Tomatoes. Oh. That's like...
1: I don't know the last time I've taken Rotten Tomatoes
0: seriously, though, It's fair. But I feel you, I feel you. But I, I will pay my dues. But <laughs> I don't know what it is about it. It's it's hokey. It's cheesy. Um, but it is really entertaining. Um, it's kind of got that clean, kind of YouTube-y Netflix, like, production feel to mm-hmm. it. Like, it doesn't... Sometimes things are just like... Sometimes the... F- it, it lacks kind of like cinematic flair. I think is the best way to describe it. Like it's very like mm. all the shots is very kind of sterile. Even in the the grittier darker stuff, like they do Vietnam flashbacks, and it's still like the most cleanest Vietnam depiction you can oh, imagine. Right. You know? They don't have like grit to the it do, yeah, right. Um, and that can be frustrating. But like the choreography and the story, it, it it's kind of real popcorn, hokey eighties fun. And I think. Um, Oh, it sounds I, like it's I, in
1: line with the original film if yeah, that's okay. Yeah, I think
0: tonally it's bang on. Um mm-hmm. like the best part is the show really does lean on the first film in particular. Um so you don't really have to watch the films in order to understand stuff because they right. actually fully flashback in some episodes to like 5 minute excerpts of why this character is important mm. and um, Is it like a literal footage from the yeah. film? Oh, okay. Um, That's interesting. so it really, like the first season starts, the pilot starts with the last, like the big fight at the end of, and it has the whole fight mm. between, um, you know, Daniel LaRusso and, and Johnny, what's his, uh, name? Johnny. <laughs> Johnny, Johnny and Daniel, like, it's like, <laughs> and it's just, yeah, it's, it's kind of a real interesting sort of show because it, it it actually gets quite violent at times and you're just like mm. it doesn't sometimes it pushes the young adult rating, which I kinda like. But. I
1: remember so this also might be a little this is the only thing I've seen from that franchise is the Jaden Smith version of the Karate Kid. <laughs> which I guess is like a remake. Yeah. And I remember thinking the same thing. There are times when it's like, Oh my god, like you are shocked at just how <laughs> it's like when you're watching um Jorbert Taylor. Yeah, And like you, every now and then you're like, man, those bullies are like really bullying this kid. Oh my goodness. It's, it's Honestly,
0: it's such a fun show. I watched the first half of it. So this first season and a half with Liam, one of our mutual mm. friends. Yeah. It's so much more fun watching it with friends because it's okay. something about like...
1: Well, it, Liam is a very excited person. Yeah. So if he likes a show... But it's kind
0: of like, like and you could turn it show. into a drinking game like every time that a certain character drinks you drink it it was like if johnny drinks a cause banquet because it's like the only beer he drinks and he's always drinking it it's so funny yeah um and it's just like it really is campy 80s tv just done nowadays and it's kind of like lovable for that reason mm. like it's unashamably cheesy sometimes but it knows it is and it just keeps moving forward with it. the fact that like Kids in the middle of a school are breaking out into big karate fights, and at least the school banning karate. And it's how like, dare
1: they? How dare they ban my karate? And there's apparently
0: there's going to be one more season. So Netflix commissioned the third season. The first two seasons with with YouTube streaming service. Oh, okay, and so season
1: three is the first proper Netflix
0: yeah produced season. Okay, and the and That's you could tell there was a bit of a if. You could feel there's a bit of a budget jump. Yeah. Um between I feel these... like Henry Hill, there's
1: a bloody helicopter just just hovering above us apparently. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh a... Do you know how many times Vilbur makes Henry Hill jokes? It's insane. once I've seen Goodfellas, I finally get all these jokes he makes. It's great. But anyway, go on, please. Yeah, 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 um,
0: yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so um you could tell there was definitely a, a budget up because that was the first time they started to do flashbacks to the nineteen sixties. And you could tell there was a bit more like... Oh, like the production
1: uh, design and everything.
0: Production, yeah. So they obviously had to put a little bit more effort in. Um, Some of the set pieces are like way more than what they were in in the first two seasons. So Mm. they're apparently doing a fourth and final season to conclude it. Um, And I I think it's also really cool because it gives a platform to a lot of... Actors, unknown actors, like, no, there's not really any known actors bar the ones that were in the original Karate Kid. Well, and most that, of those actors didn't do anything after Well, that's, then.
1: that's what I was going to say, is that I feel like a lot of the fun that I see people get out of the show is the fact that they are just back this cast. Mm-hmm. So I find it interesting that you have no, like, nostalgic connection to the original film, but you still enjoy the show.
0: Yeah. And, like, they really get everyone back to mm. at some point or another um and i l- like and it's funny because it's like even like seeing all of these none of them went on to be really really big actors and they were all defined by this franchise so to have them all come back in some mm. of them in significant major roles that's awesome like most of them get like a cameo episode here or there but they're right. still intrinsic to the overarching plot and then on top of that, to have all these other unknown teenage actors. There's not a single one in there you'd know before this. Um, and I think some of them were, like, martial arts people. that have, They've done the reverse engineering of it. They were martial arts people first, and now they're act, like they've oh, okay, been trained in acting. That's cool. Um, and, it, yeah, it's made for... It's compelling, hokey TV. <laughs> and I actually... I would recommend it, because I think it's a lot of fun. Okay. And some of the choreography is really impressive like yeah they've, I... they they started getting a bit more experimental with the camera in in like one shot fight sequences which like mm. kind of like the kingsman moving oh, through the the fight one-shotters and i loved that though in season three they did that um but for the most part the cinematography is very uh just simple like okay. sterile is probably the best. Simple and sterile. <laughs> sterile. Nothing conventionally wrong with it. A but lot it's... of the
1: words you're using sound like negative connotations, but these are all like in praise of the show. <laughs> yeah, sterile and. I mean, I, it's yeah. not.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you're looking yeah. for an, an Oscar-winning speech or something, you're not going to get anything like that out of this. This. Okay. Sort of... I'd be surprised. You know, when they finish it, they should release the box set of all four seasons in a VHS, like. Do the vhs well style. i have
1: the i have the original karate kid the vhs blu-ray thing yeah how they used to do that with the vr i don't know if they still do but um that's the copy of the karate kid that i have so not that it matters it's literally just the packaging but
0: yeah but that would be cool from a marketing point of view that would be
1: pretty well they should just do the whole have all the films and the series in there that would yeah. be awesome
0: yeah absolutely that oh, sounds great well that's if you caught this week
1: no, well that that was all I seen. Boogie Nights is that is all the shows you've seen?
0: Oh well, the other one we've both seen mutually. I've fully caught up with One Division. Ah, oh, that's right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You've obviously been watching it kind of week by week properly. Yeah. Um. So you've, you, you've binge
1: the first six episodes. I have, so sort I'm of yep,
0: all caught up. Um. I, I, and I will probably be doing the weekly watch with you until the end of the show because you said there's nine episodes. Yeah, there's only three more um, left. I don't really know how... We've never really had a show that we've contemporarily watched as it's come out. No,
1: it's kind of... Re- we talked about this just a couple of weeks ago, how we don't tend to watch shows... I mean, it was literally talking about WandaVision and people mm. being upset that the first couple of episodes, mm. it didn't feel like the story was quote-unquote going anywhere. But um, there was I an I really
0: didn't get that it. in terms of that criticism. Mm. In, by the first episode, you can tell something's wrong. Like- yeah. There's literally a whole sequence in which they're like, this is the part where you can tell this is not reality. Like, (laughs) it's that bit of the dinner sequence. Like, when like things aren't like they're not looping the way they should be looping and yeah and, and
1: there's plenty of that like spread out
0: and then by the second episode it's very clearly that something's like that's when they start doing the pleasantville color starts leaking into yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. black
1: and white and turns into like the brady
0: Bunch, and, and then by the third episode she's having a kid by the end of the episode like <laughs> i really didn't get the like oh nothing's happened in the like are you yeah, serious? I, yeah like,
1: I, I hated that criticism as well
0: like I think by the so end you know of the See no one's
1: complaining anymore because like all the dramatic But by m- the end of the first day episode, day they do it. the
0: they do that thing with um I'm not sure what her character's name is, but she's in the Thor films. I actually don't know what her oh, name is. Oh, um Darcy. Darcy. Darcy's that was a fourth episode though. I think people stopped Oh having... no, her hand was was her hand no her hand was they had the hand teaser by the end of the first episode, didn't they?
1: Yeah, but you know never... but you can't tell who that is in the first episode. Well, it's a hand.
0: Oh, but you could tell it's not reality by the end of the first. Well, episode. yeah, but it's like that's what I'm saying. I, that but that's the thing: there
1: was plenty of little intriguing hints, and people were just like, oh, "I want more! I want more now! I want
0: all the answers right now!" That's not how. Sh- that's not how any show in the history of shows <laughs> has <laughs> ever worked. That's
1: not how you make TV shows.
0: Like, imagine watching like the Breaking Bad pilot and then being like, "What happens next? Like, <laughs> why didn't we know more about it? Yeah, yeah. it's like." well what happens next it's like
1: well that isn't that the purpose of a tv show is to get your audience to be like, what well it would be next? like I it'd be to like watching the first week. 10
0: minutes of breaking bad just before they cut back in time and then just being like yeah but i want more of that it's like I, yeah i don't know it's like i i didn't get the weird criticism for it i really yeah. i really gotta watch pleasantville i really want to watch pleasantville i saw mm-hmm. it on the telly the other day and and I watched a little bit of it, and I was like, "I want to sit down and watch this film." I
1: really properly. want to sit down and watch um, Malcolm in the Middle. Well, I've been saying that for months. I want to find mm. the box set, and it's ironic because that was probably that was a thousand percent what show they were doing most recently on oh, on the nineties one. Yeah, that was absolutely Malcolm in the
0: Middle. Yeah. What are they going to do for the two I thousands? I, I
1: hope they do The Office. I guess that would make sense because they're all family-oriented shows. So like, they can't do Seinfeld or Friends because they're not really family. They could do Modern Family. Yeah, oh, that. Yeah, you're right.
0: Which it's, is kind of office esque. Modern Family. They do yeah, the piece to the, cameras. the
1: quick like z- smash zooms and stuff. Yeah. That's all going to be in there. I feel that. Like. Well, I, well I, unless Modern
0: Family is more a 2010s thing.
1: Yeah, because I think the
0: show started at the end of the. Honestly, probably Parks and Rec or something like. Yeah, like probably the Office dramas is probably where well, to go.
1: this will get changed because it's a little. The There's a theater in the background at the run of the shots, and it actually has playing the Avengers. Uh, not The Avengers. Jeez, I'm an idiot. The Incredibles from 2004. So uh, it sounded like this last week was like a 90s, Orties mix. Hmm. I think a lot of shows that went through the 90s. Maybe they're going to
0: do it. like a full Brad Bird. They're going to have like the, the yeah. Incredibles. Could I, be look, a fantastic for it Could be. I think it's like at this point in that I've really liked in terms of just generally talking about the show, I really like that we've finally given these two characters a platform to kind of Mm -hmm. like give them depth because particularly Wanda's character really needed exploration ever since avengers 2 came out um because because but because of the events of the overarching you know end game-esque you know storyline it's like there just wasn't time to give her this sort of exploration of character i mean she she really and it's really nice to have the I mean, I don't want to. How much do you spoil at this point? Yeah,
1: I don't want to spoil too much. I figured it would probably be best if uh, Black Widow comes out on time. So say like Mayish. I think that's what they're aiming for. I think that's probably the perfect episode to talk about our spoiler mm. open for the entire okay. series. Well,
0: in my impressions that aren't reflected, I really like that both these characters are getting a platform to explore. I think like Vision's character had a little, at least a little bit more in the main films had a bit mm. more exploration, obviously his creation and, and a little bit more there, but obviously their whole romance thing kind of came like was kind of really just thrust into existence in quickly. When was that in? That was in the first infinity war
1: it's, in civil war is when you saw them spend plenty of time together. And cause he was looking after her, making sure she wouldn't leave. Like the Avengers That's headquarters it, yeah. or whatever, and then uh, so there is walk enough there. It. So yeah. yeah, there's plenty of development in there. But you're At least right. We get that I, part in Civil War. I think what's cool is you're right. There's there's a lot of little implants about their relationship in the films, and and Wanda being sort of this lost kid who loses you know her brother, and then of course loses vision in the Avengers films. So I love you're right that they're slowing down and they're really exploring her grief.
0: Yeah. It's, it's definitely it's definitely for her more than mm. him, I think, because uh oh, I don't, there's this, no way he's making it out of He's line not making the show. it out of there's the no show There's no way. Um I think that, <laughs> like without sp- spoiling anything, it's just a that's our guess. I think that the whole point of this is yeah, it's like a grief thing. It's like coping with um sort of like her grief. And mm. then by the end of it, yeah. I think it'll be her fully accepting she's de- He's dead. Yeah, that's and, really the only and way. And Quicksilver's end. dead too. Yeah, because
1: that all everyone she knows is dead.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's cool. It's and it's Basically. cool giving characters that you honestly probably like. Um, you know, like Agent Woo's characters getting uh, like yeah. a lot of time and stuff. Like well, a lot,
1: of, a lot of people want him to have his own little like X Files esque Disney show, which I think is quite funny. <laughs>
0: It's just nice giving like characters that really uh, take a backseat in all of the films they're in, like mm-hmm. like Darcy's characters in she's two in of the four Thor and four two, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like good for her, but now but she's, she's in, in an show. ensemble, uh, which often you know she obviously gets put yeah. So the fact that those characters get like more screen time, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's great. I think um, it's a really enjoyable show, and it's. I can see why people... Like, I honestly think it's one of the smartest things that that has mm. come out of the MCU. Yeah. Most sure. original, like... And honestly, most exploration of character we've seen in any of... Even compared to the films for a long time. Like, because we had such a focus on trying to explore particularly Tony Stark's character, like, his character gets heaps of time to develop mm. over the course of that whole 10-year span. And people like... Thor and stuff get a bit, like, but they, like, obviously it's really nice to have, I think the show platform works really well for developing characters. Well,
1: it's interesting as well, because this wasn't meant to be the first show or even the first phase four mm. property. I think Falcon and the Winter Soldier was meant to come out first. So it almost feels coincidental that this is such like a celebration of TV, it being the first TV show for like the proper Marvel, mm-hmm. not including Daredevil and stuff um it, it just feels like everything's fallen into place and all of the stuff regarding like the theories about the wider extent of like the 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 x-men properties and the fantastic four properties coming into the mcu i think this show it almost feels That's like it's gonna feel so weird it almost was genius how they're starting to implement it for so this show yeah. it's brilliant it's so clever
0: my thing is right. Obviously, with the you know last last year, Fox got bought out by Disney, right? Yeah. That was last year. Do you really well, was that two thi- years ago now? Maybe it would have been two Jesus. years ago. So obviously, following Dark Phoenix and stuff mm. being the hodgepodge it was, um, I wonder if, how many of those are going to come back for a for a Disney if if well, Disney my, my starts utilizing is- that uh, those X Men characters because obviously you know we've at least got rid of. You know, you won't see Hugh Jackman or probably Patrick Stewart ever No, year. well,
1: they've they basically retired those characters. But, yeah. I, you know, I would have said up until a couple of weeks ago, I would have told you they're just going to do a whole new cast, a whole new slate of X-Men. Mm. But now, you know, again, without spoiling it, some of the stuff that happens in this show, it's, I don't know, maybe, maybe they're going to have something deeper and more interesting to do Potentially. with the original cast of the I don't X-Men. know if
0: McAvoy and Fassbender come back to their characters, to be honest. Yeah. It's that's that's a long... They've spent a long time with those characters, like Mm. 10 or so years, so I think they're also in the same... I think you're... It might be a mix of both. Like, you might get some come over and then some get recast and... Yeah.
1: It's going to be interesting, but I... I think I adore what they're doing so far.
0: Yeah. I think it's Yeah, I thought it was... It's clever. I mean yeah we can obviously at a certain point have a full spoiler breakdown but uh yeah right now we both have really positive impressions of the show
1: for sure and uh we might talk about it again once the show finishes but you're right i think we should do a spoiler discussion on the black widow episode yes i I imagine anyone who's going to listen to our black widow podcast has probably seen wandavision and black yeah so i think that's fair enough now before we move on zeke uh, like last week, and uh, well, like last week, there is a new update in the awards circle pretty oh big boy. update, uh, unlike last week i 'm going to try and <clears throat> really simplify and shorten this because two of the last three weeks have been our two longest episodes <laughs> in the entire show out of one hundred and nine right. weeks, so i 'm going to make this a bit snappy yeah uh, so the twenty twenty one critics Choice Awards nominees have come out and What I like about these ones, more than the Globes and the Sags and and the Oscars that are coming up soon, is they just nominate everyone. They don't have a limit of five actors per category. They have like eight to nine in some cases. It's really crazy. Mm -hmm. So for Best Picture, they've nominated The Five Bloods, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Mank, Minari, News of the World, Nomadland, One Night in Miami, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. Which is really just about everyone you can think of. Yep. (laughs) It's every film that's come out, pretty much. Um, Yeah. I really, I really love that list. I'm glad that Minari's getting a lot of love here. Yeah. Um, And we'll probably be doing Minari soon enough. Yep. On the show. Sooner rather than later. Yep. For best act, we have Ben Affleck for The Way Back. Rizahem for Sound of Metal Chadwick Boseman for Marini's Black Bottom Tom Hanks for News of the World Anthony Hopkins for The Father Del- uh, Delroy Lindo for Fire Bloods Gary Oldman for Mank and Stephen Young for Minari so again it just feels that's like That's crazy I everyone's think Steven getting... Yun is yeah.
0: from walking from that kid who got him out of got got what's his face out of the Pizza Man. Pizza Boy tank. from Pizza Boy to Oscar nominated actor. <laughs> well the um, well, Critics Choice sure, award yeah.
1: nominee. But um you never know. You that's could, a pretty big jump. You from... could get the Oscar nom. Nah, that's great. And uh, I think I love that Delroy Lindo's in here as well because a lot of people are pretty upset that he hasn't been getting nominations mm-hmm. as of late. Um, so that's great and uh, I didn't think Ben Affleck was all that great in the way back but hey he's in here why not mm-hmm. <laughs> best actress Viola Davis for Myronie's Black Bottom Andrea Day for the United States versus Billy Holiday Sinigan, uh, Sydney Flanagan for Never Rarely Sometimes Always look at that there you go Vanessa Kirby for Pieces of a Woman Frances McDormand for No Man Land Carrie Mulligan for Promising Young Woman and Zendaya for Malcolm and Marie again look at that <laughs> Your cool. five Oscar nominees are in this list. And I'm going to tell you right now, I think Sidney Flanagan and Zendaya are not going to be in that Oscar list. So I think everyone else, yeah. including Andrea Day, will be. Yeah. But um, what do you think of Zendaya getting nominated?
0: We, um, we talked about that film last week. but Yeah, um, yeah. just check our review last week.
1: <laughs> Look, I'm happy she, she's in here. I think there is no way she's going to get an Oscar because that, that film is really going to appall a lot of people. And I think that's going to hurt Zendaya and John David Washington.
0: I think she's the them. stronger part of that; those two, mm. for sure. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but yeah, just go back to our review last week. It's actually a pretty good in-depth review. Yeah, we
1: tackle it. Best Supporting Actor, Chadwick Boseman for The Five Bloods. So he's got two nominations there. Sasha Baron Cohen for The Trial of Chicago 7. Daniel Coolier for Judas and The Black Messiah. Bill Murray for On The Rocks. Leslie Odom Jr. for One Night in Miami. And Paul Racy. The Sound of metal, a lot of people are happy about that last one, including myself. Uh, what do you think of uh, Bill Murray on On the Rocks?
0: <laughs> I'm on the rocks about that. Ah, <laughs> oh, fair enough. Oh, uh, I mean, yeah. hey, they're putting everyone, it's a in short here. list, right? Yeah,
1: well, this isn't the short list, this is mm. the critics' yeah okay, choice. Well. Um, we'll get to the short list soon, but uh, I'm glad that Paul Race is in here. I hope he gets the Oscar nom too. Mm-hmm. Best supporting actress, uh, Maria Bucklanova for Borat Subsequent Movie Film, Alan Burstead for Pieces of a Woman. I think she's great. Uh, Glenn Close for Hillbilly Elegy, Olivia Colman for The Father, Amanda Seyfried for Make, and Jan Yoon for Minari. I think she plays the grandmother in Minari. Uh, we have, neither of us have seen the film no. yet, so... Um, it sounds like they're trying to make up for The Farewell <laughs> for not nominating enough people in that film. Um, but yeah, seem, seems fine to me. Mm-hmm. I, no problems there. I'm glad Amy Adams isn't... Or, well, Amy Adams would be in the other category, but yeah. I'm glad she's on neither of these... Uh, so Best Young Actor Slash Actress Ryder Allen for Palmer uh, Ibrahima Gui, excuse me for that The Life Ahead Alan Kim for Minari uh, Talia Ryder for Never Really Sometimes Always that was The Friend Uh, Coiling Springall for The Midnight Sky I guess that was a little girl in that film and Mm -hmm. Helena Zengel for News of the World who is in it herself nominated for a Globe so she's probably going to win this one simply because of that hmm it's interesting they put Sinig, Sydney Flanagan, holy moly, in the actress category, but then they put Talia Ryder in the best young actress category.
0: Because cool, yeah. I think
1: they're both pretty fresh as as performers.
0: Well, maybe they've, uh, maybe they're just trying to maximize their coverage.
1: Yeah, that's it's interesting. Yeah. I I get that. All right. Oh, this is interesting. Mm-hmm. So. There must be a weird time issue here because I'm looking at Best Screenplay. Knives Out is nominated for Best Screenplay.
0: That is very strange.
1: What <laughs> in the world? Um, also nominated is Minari, Mank, Never Really, Sometimes, Always, Sound of Metal, and Trial of Chicago 7. Oh, I would love to see Sound of Metal win. Wouldn't it be great if Knives Out won? Oh. <laughs> that would be, That'd so be the twist. Serious. That would That'd be, be, so be Ryan great. Johnson's big twist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He subverted your expectations of the, <laughs> the Critics' Choice Awards. Um, alright he, um,
0: he looped something yeah
1: It <laughs> <laughs> feels like we're in a loop of rent land um, best director Lee Isaac Chan for Minari Emerald Fennell for Promising Young Woman David Fincher for Mank Spike Lee for The Five Bloods Regina King for One Night in Miami Aaron Sorkin for The Trial of Chicago 7 and Zoe Xiao uh Xiao Xiao for mm. Nomadland yeah that's the thing they just it feels like they're nominating everyone so off the top of my head I'm like I can't think of who's missing you know what I mean yeah o- other than baby teeth <laughs> which is always going to be missing, but that's okay.
0: Snub of the the year.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, All right. I'm just going through these now. Uh, Other highlights I'm noticing. News of the world is there for best cinematography as well as first cow. I haven't seen first cow. No, I wanted to though. Yeah. It's popping up. Uh, Personal history of David Copperfield's in production design as well as tenant, make Emma, Mara Black Bottom and news of the world. Um, Okay. This is another weird one. Parasite is in for best editing what is going on no clue what is happening um i think trial of chicago 7 should win that one um uh, mulan made it for best costume design hillbilly elegy made it in for best hair and makeup as well as promising young woman uh best visual effects is interesting greyhound the invisible man mank midnight sky mulan tenet and wonder woman 1984 oh okay you're gonna like this category Zeke, because mm-hmm. there's one in here that you're probably not expecting to hear Best comedy for Borat's subsequent movie film, The King of Staten Island, On the Rocks, Palm Springs, The Prom, and the 40-year-old version.
0: <laughs> I did like the 40-year-old version. It nice. is funny, but it, it I'm actually surprised it hasn't gotten a little bit more recognition, to be honest. Mm.
1: Would you call it a comedy? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. I you haven't f- seen it yet, so.
0: Dra- like a dramedy.
1: Yeah, fair enough. I'm glad The King of Staten Island's in here. That's great. Yeah, man. Nice. That
0: feels like so long ago since I watched that.
1: Yeah, that's been a while ago now Alright, and that's pretty much it Actually, I'll just read one more For best foreign film you have Another round uh, from uh, I was going to say Denmark That's not it Isn't it a Sweet Not a Swedish film, is it? Why am I blanking on
0: this? Another round Oh,
1: you know, I think it is It's just the bracket I think it's just called uh, Druk D-R-U-K I think that's like the alternative name of the film Mm -hmm. I thought it was meant to be like The country Never mind. Uh, also in there's Collective, La La Rona, Minari, The Life Ahead, and Two of Us. I'm guessing Minari's going to win that one because it's in every other category. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's fair enough. Fair guess. Yeah. All right. And now let's go on to the Oscar shortlist, which th- these are mostly a lot of the categories that aren't too interesting. There's no actors in here, for example. Uh, some of the ones I noticed here in the documentary feature category, there is uh, Dick Johnson is Dead, which you've seen. I have. Uh, my Octopus Teacher, uh, My o- yeah, my Octopus Teacher, which is on Netflix. Uh, been meaning to watch it. Yeah, Time, which is Amazon Studios film. I've heard a lot of buzz about that. Boy State 76 Days, all in the fight for democracy. I think the title alone for that <laughs> is going to get it in. <laughs> uh, my the Mole Agent. Yeah, there's a lot of good ones in here. Um uh, international feature films. So another round has made it. It is a Denmark film. There you go. Um and I pointed out to you earlier Minari's not in this list, which means that I guess because it was shot in America, doesn't matter what language is spoken, they don't consider it a foreign film mm-hmm. or an international film, rather. Um, for makeup and hairstyling, you have Birds of Prey, Emma, The Glorious, Hillbilly Elegy, Jingle, Jang- Jingle Jango. Jeez, I can't speak. A Christmas Journey, The Little Fiends, Marini's Black Bottom, Make One Night in Miami, and Pinocchio, which I wanted to catch earlier this year and I couldn't. Or earlier last year, I should say. Mm. Um, this is interesting. So, original score: they have Ammonite. Blizzard of Souls, The Five Bloods, The Invisible Man, Jingle Jangle, The Life Ahead, The Little Things, Mank, The Midnight Sky, Minari, Mulan, News of the World, Soul, Tenet, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. So there was a little contention whether soul would get in for some sort of eligibility thing, but they made it. Um, thought The Invisible Man was interesting. Do you remember that score at all? No.
0: Mm. no I was trying to think about it.
1: And it's also not in the special features shortlist, or the special effects shortlist, which I thought was very strange. Because if that film was going to have any chance, it's in the special effects. Yeah, category. maybe sound
0: mixing. Well, the sound mixing was pretty good.
1: Yeah, maybe. I don't think they've put that out yet. No. So no shortlist for that. Um, I'm going to skip original song, because frankly, we just we don't know what we're talking about in that regard. Um, yeah, I'm looking at visual effects. You know what's in here is Soul. They put Soul in for visual effects, which I think is really weird why is that well just Pixar uh, film yeah but it's an animated film I get that there are like effects like animated effects you put into an animated film I get Mm. that but I also just feel feel like it's a bit of a cheat yeah it's just weird to me I just don't I don't know if I get that Um, they've also sort of run out of films in here because they've got Love and Monsters they've got Bloodshot they've got the one and only Ivan (laughs) these random ass films because obviously no big budget films really came out this year or very few of them. Mm-hmm. Um all right, there's the shorts category. Oh, and that's it because we haven't seen any of the shorts. Yeah. Um we don't tend to be on top of those. Um so yeah, general takeaway on those. I think the Oscar nominations will come in in a month's time, mm-hmm. just under a month. So yeah, I I think it's great that have the critics choice awards in because again, there's just so many films, like never really sometimes always got like free nominations or something. Yeah, that's so, pretty good. That's awesome. I love that.
0: Yeah. Cool. (laughs) No worries. Well I guess it's time for us to move into our film of the week. Bud Jake. What are we watching?
1: This week on the show, Zeke, we're watching drunk punch love. Punch drunk love. Damn it.
0: (laughs) do you want to give that another go? I
1: mis I misspelt it on my sheet, Zeke. Drunk punch love.
2: so much strength in me, you have no idea. I have a love in my life. It makes me stronger than anything you can imagine. He
1: needs me, he needs me, he needs me, he needs me, he
0: needs me, A frustrated Barry Egan calls a phone sex line to curb his loneliness. Little does he know that he'll land in huge trouble and also jeopardize his relationship with Lena.
1: It's a love story, Zeke.
0: Yeah, a
1: love story for one day post Valentine's so Day. Social,
0: socially anxious introverts. <laughs> <laughs> um, exactly. So this is a this is an interesting film because this is one of those films that a lot of people love in terms of PTA films. Like mm. this one does get, you know, admittedly a lot of love. And obviously, we have tried to pick a film that tied in with the holiday this is yes. um, although we're both pretty eh, on Valentine's Day um, I
1: I take that back I've celebrated Valentine's Day once ever
0: Did you enjoy it
1: Yeah I had fun she paid so <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm not I'm not the biggest fan to of be this, fair, this I, holiday I, yeah. um, myself personally but that is just my opinion if you love Valentine's Day go out there and have a grand old time um but usually, you, <laughs>
1: <laughs> you don't.
0: No, no I, I just don't find it. I think it's one of those. It comes back to. I agree with like the whole commercial holiday thing. If you love right. someone, you don't need a you don't need a day other than your anniversary. It's right. a catered, personalized day to your relationship specifically. You don't need a universal day to acknowledge that.
1: We all have anniversaries, so
0: unless you have your anniversary on Valentine's Day, and then great, good thinking because that's two birds, one stone right there.
1: Yeah, you have to, like, arrange it, though. You have to keep them on their toes until <laughs> until February.
0: <laughs> but you could do, like, 13th or 15th, and then that way you knock them out, like, in quick succession. Yeah,
1: it's, like, the same weekend. Yeah. So it's not too bad. Keep it
0: keep it close yeah. enough. It's like, can we go official,
1: Jake? It's like, give me two months in one day. <laughs> yeah. Chris <laughs>
0: Pratt did a really good, like, bit on a talk show where he was like, oh, if okay. you get them flowers all the time, then if you miss it on Valentine's Day, they can't get angry with you. you Ah, they'll still get
1: angry at you.
0: Uh, (laughs) But yes, I'm not... Moving aside our opinions on Valentine's Day, this is a film I hadn't seen from Paul Thomas Anderson. Mm. I'm down to, I think, yeah, just two features I'm away from completing all of his features. His debut and and Inherent Vice I think are the only two features I'm missing from him.
1: Oh, except Magnolia for me as well. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, So... I think at this point, obviously, we did have a director's corner catered to him back in episode 80. Is uh, this the
1: first time
0: that we've done...
1: We did a film... No, it's not. It can't be the first time.
0: After the director's corner? That we've corner. done a
1: director's corner and then way later did another one of their films. Because Sofia probably... Coppola, we did back to back. So, yeah. it's a little different.
0: Yeah. I don't think... Maybe a Scorsese? Maybe Scorsese? We never did a Scorsese director's corner. There you go i don't yeah probably <laughs> i'd say so maybe stuff, yeah yeah, yeah that's probably... it's been about nolan 30... oh that's true memento and tenet
1: and that, that was a new release as well yeah so okay um, yeah that's fair enough that's fair enough
0: but yeah obviously visiting this film we thought it was a sort of an appropriate and it's a really good it's our first throwback in a while we've been having such a contemporary mm. run recently um
1: yeah first since uh die hard it's been like seven eight weeks
0: but there's a there's a lot to to break down with this film. This is the first real serious Adam Sandler role um, in his career. Mm. Um, up until this point he had just done his Adam Sandler slapstick comedy. So this is the first time we kind of we really got to see him flex his acting chops and you think this is better than his performance in Uncut Gems?
1: I I, I rewatched it this morning and I think it's still his best performance ever.
0: I love this film. Mm. I I like this film. Mm. Um, I think this film for me, although I really still like it, would probably rank the lowest on my PTA list. Wow. Um, that's
1: absurd to me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, There's a lot to like about this film. I and mean, that's just saying how high his bar is. Yeah, like, of course. Like of I, course. I talked about in the first half of the show, I haven't given less than four stars. And this was probably the closest I came to not giving four stars for a, a Paul Thomas Anderson film. This mm. is closer to three and a half. This is like a flat four for me. Um, but um, I do like it a lot. I don't think this is as good as his Uncut Gems performance. I think okay. his character... There's a lot to... They're, they're, both the characters have a lot to dissect. like right. in terms of, And they're not comparable in the type of people they are. They're completely different people. They're very
1: different personalities, for sure. Um, there's a level of anxiety in both. But
0: Absolutely. very different approaches
1: to yeah. anxiety, Sama.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really interesting thing too, because particularly for, um, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson, a lot of his masculine characters are quite um, toxic, like not like quite confident characters at least. Mm. There's a certain arrogance to a lot of them, um, or like self. Confident. They 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 carry themselves pretty well. He normally has a vulnerable masculine character in all of his films.
1: I think of Boogie Knight's, um, Philip Seymour Hoffman's character. Yeah. He's like the nervous one who, like, wants to ask Wahlberg out. But you're right. They're
0: never the the central character. yeah. Yeah. Whereas Barry is very much from start to finish. He is the character. He's the protagonist. And, um, to have such a vulnerable character the protagonist of the operation <laughs> because it's like they all at some point in time in some point in history so if you take Warburg's character they do have breaking points for sure they have mm. lows but they have they normally the reason they achieve those lows is because of how arrogant they or, you know they were as a person like often they're like he he's really good at creating kind of like the punishment for a toxic masculine character or the ego of a of a man and normally the fallout is loneliness and isolation it happens and mm. there will be blood it happens in boogie nights but barry we we start with barry and he's already isolated like we start at the, well, the normally at the end of the arc
1: well that's the thing is like it's it, this is such a different character in general and that first i mean that first shot is just utter sort of genius on its own i'm not even just talking about the framing but just the setup and you're right he's so nervous and and anxious and he's constantly tripping on his words and it's just i mean that's the character they're developing and it's the other way around this is a character who goes from being someone who's so full of anxiety and and unable to fight his own battles to someone who can fight his own battles Mm -hmm. and it is a love story through that lens and i did a little like research going into it because the thing i walked away from this film and it doesn't there's no label they don't say oh he has this disorder or this thing But I would have been like, his character is a thousand percent autistic. That's what it is. That's a thousand percent what it is. And I looked it up and there's theories. There's people going, oh, I think this is what it is. I think he has this. Um, but it's, there's no answer. Yeah, I mean, no. that's
0: definitely one of the biggest takeaways when you come to the end of the film. Another thing about this film, mm. it's a tight 90. That's oh, it's so good. How good is that? <laughs> a lot of PTA films, that's not a thing. Like, we talked about Inherent Vice in the first half of the show. It's two hours and 36 minutes or something. And something The Master's like is nearly yeah. three hours. Magnolia's and three hours. Three hours. Boogie Nights is still two and a half hours. Like, it's, and they're all... Re- like, he, he does have very long films.
1: He mentioned this, Paul Thomas Anderson, on the Cannes like panel that he did for this film back in like 2002 there's a funny video on youtube of people being like look how coked out of his mind he is in one of the questions you get asked he's just like his behavior is crazy but he talked about the length and he said that um it was a discussion between him and his producer about this being what his third film Mm -hmm. and him saying finally i want to do a 90 minute film and actually delivering that because magnolia was meant to be a 90 minute film. Hmm. And that's not how it turned out. Man, okay.
0: all is his longest film, I'm pretty yeah, sure. It's,
1: I think it is. And and it for his producer it was just the same story of him presenting this script being like, I want this to be ninety minutes. And she sort of laughed, being like, Yeah, okay, whatever you say. And then it ended up being with credits like ninety five minutes. Yeah. Um so for him, for Porto Sanson, it was not a very conscious decision to make this film shorter than his other films. Yeah. It just became that and I think this up. film is very tight, very focused it zips by so quickly.
0: Yeah, it does. And the thing is, it's like I walked away from it, and the first thing I did was I searched up. I wanted to find out what disorder he had because there is no mm. labeling, no. Um, and there hasn't been any confirmation after the films come out of what it actually is. And your like your theory is that he has like autism. Mm. I read that he has like suggested he could have like made not like 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 a major anxiety. Disorder, he has a fear of people. Um, right, I think the thing I read was I'm just gonna get it up. Actually, okay, yeah,
1: because I that's what I sort of realised is a lot of people just have different theories, and I like that it's not obvious.
0: So he has like a social phobia.
1: Okay, yeah, um, yeah, it's a phobia. You see, I I don't my argument against that is sure there's a sense of phobia in it, but that doesn't explain his anger. Because he has clear anger issues, and sometimes he lashes out. Mm. And that was... Like, in my head, I just tick every box. I'm like, I think he has autism. And I think if if that were to be its betrayal, I think as an adult with probably undiagnosed autism, I think it's a perfect betrayal.
0: Well, and you got to think contextually, that would actually make a lot of sense. I mean, he's a character that's probably in his early 30s. Mm. He has seven sisters, so yeah. he, ha- he is quite easily... Um, you know, he's a the, background. The ugly duckling in um, the family. And so he has a. he comes from a really big family. This film is obviously set early two thousands, so he was born in the he would have been born in the early seventies. Um early seventies. Well, if he's in his, if it was two thousand and three and he's in his early thirties, he'd be born in the early seventies.
1: <laughs> no but then that wouldn't that be late. Oh and you're right, two thousand and two. Yeah. No, I gotcha. Yeah. So know, in the
0: late thirties, yeah. Yeah. I mean it might have been late seventies, it could have been mid twenties. But right it's like that sort of disorder awareness of like autism and stuff like that was just not common back then. Mm. Like there are adults that get diagnosed nowadays and they've been living with it their whole life and they didn't even realize they had it. Mm. Um, So it could be quite simply. Yeah. He's just never, I mean the, there is a scene where he's interacting with one of the sister's husbands and saying that he has these problems yeah. And the response is he's a dentist, so he clearly he hasn't sought any form of real mental health. So right. there's been no one there to, if he was to be diagnosed with something, he he's never been given that opportunity to potentially yeah. get diagnosed. Whatever
1: it is, he he's clearly unaware of what is wrong with him.
0: And I think a lot of people around him are unaware. Like his sisters, just brand him as weird. Mm and they don't really have much consideration for his mental health and well-being. It's sort of just... No,
1: not at all. (laughs) um, (laughs) They treat him... It's kind of shocking how bad they treat him, and I know that's to the purpose, mm, and it it, it all leads to him trying to stand up to them. Well, I think it plays into
0: the... um, Yeah, like, it plays into why he has such an emasculated character, Mm. because his whole life he's been belittled. I mean, there's the sequence where he's entering the room at the party and then he goes out and he comes back in because he's waiting for oh, a moment where they're not sick. talking about why they he used to get so riled up when they called him gay yeah yeah um, that's
1: such a great little like coming in at the right time yeah just those little details i think so here's the thing i think it's interesting that you find this to be as much as you like the film yep. it's on the bottom end of your pta tier if you will yes now the reason I think it's towards the top of mind and I there's no secret of this I think the films that really speak to me are films that like I said earlier they use the entire toolbox that a filmmaker would have and like I said I think films like There'll Be Blood and the Master they're brilliant films because they have good performances and good storytelling Mm -hmm. and everything else is very subtle the editing the music all it's it all feels like it's there just to sort of add to what's on the screen Mm -hmm. And for this film, I felt like it was the other way around. I felt like everything was enhanced. This idea of following a character with this level of anxiety was enhanced by, you know, the overexposed photography. The sky is almost white the entire film. Mm. You know, I think that adds to it. I think the, the rhythmic music and sound adds to it. The editing and, like, the frantic camera, the overlapping dialogue and the phones going off. And that's a very Uncut Gems thing as well. But, like, just all of those elements coming together constantly to reinforce and reinforce and reinforce this anxiety. I think I tend to like films that very obviously are using every single tool in their tool uh, belt. It'd be to, really to interesting to
0: see if the Safdies took inspiration from this film.
1: Maybe. I mean, to create that. There's got to be a reason they wanted to hire Adam Sandler. I think this
0: film does do really well with creating anxiety and moments of high tension, particularly mm-hmm. that whole sequence in the warehouse, um, Oh, it's brilliant! When he's getting called, and then he's also trying to balance talking to Lena, and then he's also trying to talk to um, oh, what's his? I'm forgetting his name now? His uh, warehouse boss.
1: Oh, Luis Guzman. Well, Lance, character well, oh, yeah, Lance. he's character. Oh, yeah, Louise Guzman. Who's gone? Sorry, Guzman. Yeah, hes he's in Community. Oh,
0: yeah. There, there's a whole thing in um, Community that he was a like Greendale graduate, oh, so right. they, they have like a commemorative statue of him. Put up without his permission.
1: He's in um Boogie Nights as well. And yeah. my first instance when I saw him was, he's the guy. And yes, man, <laughs> yeah. that's about the job of the building.
0: That was but, my um, first thought. Yeah, like that whole sequence when like chaos mm. is unfold. Like you definitely they do a really good job of creating that. He does a really good job of creating that anxiety. And I do think you're correct. I think the the flair and the stylism is so overtly and in your face. Mm like the sometimes the music is so jarringly explicit to your right. like, ears that um and to pick something like this this baby piano which plays mm. it doesn't play like a classic tone or like the piano plays it plays kind of this slightly distorted mm. um out of tune sort of sound it's it's so interesting because it really makes you feel Kind of dizzied and out of sync, and yeah, so you sort of really get that empathetic feeling for how he feels,
1: and that's a good point as well, because it kind of almost diegetically when he you know presses the keys, it sometimes it feels like it is diegetically entering the, the soundtrack of mm-hmm. the film
0: so. well sometimes it does, like the soundtrack's playing, mm. and you play it, and it's in in beat with yeah, the, yeah so that was clearly a deliberate choice to kind of yeah, homogenize the non diegetic and diegetic. To yeah. have this weird sort of mix of the two, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean I was still really positive about this film. Mm. I think um the way he acts is is kind of fascinating and for like I said for someone like him to if you take the context of the time and when this film was made, it's probably something that someone wasn't like people weren't used to seeing from him. And I think yeah. that there's definitely like a commemorative respect there. I mean, he's still got that kind of lovable dorkness yeah, there to him. I think
1: you kind of need that to sell why Emily Watson's character kind of wants to meet him initially. Mm. I think he still needs that element of dorky, lovable um, to sell the fact that she has a
0: crush on him. Mm. You know what? At the end of the day, one of the biggest like things I can think about, the fact that he didn't reveal what condition that he had, mm. might have actually helped the film because I find films that like no matter what the mental or social disorder is, as soon as they actually explicitly say it, mm. people actually have a different lens. Well, on the how film they view becomes it. too much about that. Well, it becomes if are they doing it right or mm. are they doing it justice? Like, yeah. if, if, what's that? Sia film that just came out that's getting critically yeah, panned, music
1: like, which is uh, autism, and it's in display. the opening yeah.
0: like in the logline. Like it's in yeah. the logline, so it's like clearly it's a very like overt like in your face and of course when people watch that they'll go well that's not actually how that is whereas right. with him we don't because we don't know the answer to the question
1: yeah they can kind of get away with more vague idiosyncrasies and the way he acts and stuff Yeah, but even so I mean you know it's easy to say this afterwards and you know this film is almost 20 years old now Yep, um, which is kind of crazy to think about Um, if you put that label and if you said like oh Barry Egan has autism it's like I still think I don't know, there's just something that's so spot on and again it's it's not just his performance, which I think is excellent, it's all of the filmic elements around it that at the way the camera's framed, so he's like lonely in the corner and one of my favourite shots is he's pacing with the phone, he
0: sits down. Well, he never switches his costume too. Like he, he never wears... changes his
1: outfit. He's Yes.
0: And he wasn't oh, asked wow. to wear a suit to work, he just thought it was the right uh right thing to yeah, wear. Give
1: a bit of confidence. But everyone makes fun of him for it still. Yeah.
0: So it's, I think that there. I think your diagnosis of that character mm. is probably you know you know adept um, in it, and I like that it lets you when you finish the film make you want to search up what potentially learn more about yeah it, right because then that's like that outer exterior work is is very interesting and I find uh, it really interesting how this story kind of unfolds because you know Lena's character is such an introverted and such Mm. but such a nice and kind of calming presence that it helps normalize his character it actually gives his character sort of a a goal um which you know up until
1: uh up until they meet he's a directionalist he is
0: Mm. he is it's it comes back to it from their first interaction when she's kind of like trying to incite Talking to him, right, and he's just not giving it anything. And then, as soon as she's starting to walk away, he's like hiding around the corner, like peeing <laughs> around like egg. a child. Like yeah, he acts yeah. like a child sometimes. Like when he has his fits of rage, it's not like he's angry. It's actually he's just what, like it almost feels involuntary. Well, the first time when he breaks the windows, it's more like a tantrum, right? Like it's like a, a child acting out rather than. Something, like, he's not malicious or dangerous. Like, the way that his sisters react when he smashes the windows is not... They're not scared for their life. They're actually just having a go at him yeah, immediately. Yeah, they just start
1: abusing him straight. Which, which speaks to their... I mean, it's a bit of that power dynamic where... No matter what he does, he's the ugly duckling of that family. And mm-hmm. they're going to abuse him. And it's not until he abuses them back. And, like, abuse give me the phone number, give me her number, give me her number... Mm. starts abusing him over the fight it's that's the first time that they ever like oh wow oh okay okay here's the number they sort of give in mm. to his demands i mean that's how part of his whole arc is redirecting that anger in mm. the right direction and then standing up for himself do we was... want to
0: break into the sort of the, the plot beats here yeah because... sure Because well, I... I think emily watson's performance is really good and adam Zandler's performance but we haven't really talked about the kind of the the through line of anxiety that runs through this film right. uh, in the first so part. You're
1: referring to the scammers, the scammers, true? yeah, who
0: um, obviously are run by Philip Seymour Hoffman's character,
1: mm. um, Dean. That's what I got. Who out. plays a
0: very um, very minimal performance, really, compared to what Hoffman's done in an other some of the other films.
1: It's probably his most. Uh, I mean, the actual performance itself is you know quite loud and and. Him on the phone, like, shut, shut, shut up! (laughs) This is a great line, but you're right, he doesn't have a lot of screen time. No, well... None uh, of the scammers really have much screen time, now that I think about it.
0: No, because if anything, they're... they're, It's their disjointed nature, because their power over Barry comes from the fact that they're in Utah, Mm. conducting this. Like It's distance that makes them so imposing, and actually the more we see them the more like we kind of just think oh well they're just kind of petty thugs they're like i mean dean's character is running this scam working out of a used furniture store i mean yeah this this big furniture warehouse and he's you know he's having this woman um you know like do his like his uh his hair and Mm. stuff and it's like he's not really an imposing person um when you meet him face to face and the whole point of that fight is very much like you don't feel like they're ever going to throw down because that's just not what this sort of plot's teaching right it's well like we have Barry has become this very you know he's become a man He's yeah. he started acting Um, you know he's found self confidence in himself and his own image and he doesn't want to jeopardize his relationship with this this woman and he thinks at that point he had so you know he's gonna act out accordingly and take responsibility and matters Mm -hmm. into his own hand but
1: i like with the that yeah that scene with when he finally obviously they come face to face and you're right it's it's his use of confidence and and you know throwing words and he doesn't have to use any violence or anger Mm -hmm. He, he obviously he infuses that anger in what he's saying to seem intimidating, and I and I thought this. I was a little distracted the second I watched him when they're literally, you know, their heads are in each other's faces. I was like, are they the exact same height? Because that is genius casting. If they, yeah. I feel like maybe one of them was on like a little stepladder or something. I'm not quite sure, but um, it was pretty. I don't know. I I I think that's a great scene, and I love that. You're right. There is no violence inflicted because Philip and Hoffman. You imagine he's never had to deal with this threat that close. He's in Utah. He's ordering other people to do the attack. So when they come face to face, he's going to throw words at him. Oh, you know, you're, you're a creep. You call you, you're on the the hookup lines, but he's not going to throw a fist. And we've seen Adam Sandler throw many fists, both against like walls and in, in windows and self anger, but also against those guys. He finally fights back when he hits the car. So we know he's fully capable of violence, but he doesn't use it, so I just I thought that was really fascinating towards the end. Are you looking up their heights? No, I'm looking oh, up. Okay. Um,
0: thought <laughs> you were for a minute. What's what's the name of the the, the phone sex line operator?
1: What's her name?
0: Oh, her name, um, Georgia, isn't it? I, is not it? yeah? Is it Georgia? The fake name? Yeah. Oh, here we go. I don't
1: have it on me. Is it? Yeah, she's past?
0: really like she's not billed at all, like on letterbox. Like I'm she's sure she's, she's probably is, but it's like really down the list
1: I'm going to look this up uh, Punch Drunk Glass see I said it at the right time this way punch well, that kind of car.
0: makes partial sense because the actually the first time you see her see, but is, is she diff-
1: credited under a different name though maybe is that what I'm um,
0: but the only time you see her like in person really is like she has an opening scene um, where we get to kind of put a uh, like a at face the of, to the, the voice and then the final scene because Hoffman mostly takes over after that because a lot of her lines are delivered on the phone Mm. because that's where all her power came from i think and and the fact that we don't see her conducting the way she talks to him um like we do with the hoffman hoffman scene right where they're both screaming at each other but we both get to cut to where they're talking to each other so it's like you said it's an even playing field between the two of them they're both kind of meeting each other at the middle. Um, I have Ashley Clark
1: credited as the phone sex sister. I know. That might be it.
0: Tricky. I went looking, but it's, I find that really interesting because it definitely shifts from she's not the antagonist of the film to Hoffman being the antagonist. Because even in that final confrontation between Barry Egan's character, it. she gets told to shut up pretty much, and she doesn't speak the whole time. She's mm. present, but it's very much between them,
1: right? Um, I mean, it's it's a collective antagonistic group.
0: Gets taken like obviously he's
1: like the leader, but he's standing up against all of them. Yeah, in that moment, so
0: no worries. Do you have anything it. else you'd like to add?
1: Yeah, I want to talk a bit about that little small piano mm-hmm. that was mentioned earlier. I lo- I mean, I love the scene. Firstly, when it's you know the car flipping is a very shocking moment, and he, I again, that's sort of what what I love about his level of anxiety is even after like the loud noise and the danger has left the scene, and there's this remaining piano. It takes him like what like twenty thirty minutes to grab it, mm-hmm. and the only reason he even grabs it is because of the shock of the the truck zooming past. And again, that's such a great little commutative thing they did with the filmmaking of having it far in the background of the shot, slowly come out the road. And then through cuts, like jumping you were like, oh man, they cut to way further in time when the Mm. truck's actually about to pass. So I loved all of that, but I even like the sort of the, what did you think was sort of the symbolism, um, of the small piano?
0: Hmm. That's a tricky one actually.
1: Because I noticed the second time around how often he usually grabs or touches it or plays a note when in a moment of stress or I was thinking that was probably
0: the first thing I was, I would think of my original reaction would be, yeah, it's like a safety blanket sort mm. of situation where in those high stresses and often when she's on, he's on the phone and stuff, he'll storm to that room that he's keeping it in. Right. Rather than, um, uh, but that's probably what I would say. It was a, a strange sort of musical escape maybe. Cause mm. I don't think he actively knows how to play the piano. No. So he kind of fiddles with it more than anything. Um, and that's what makes me think it's kind of like just sort of a, um, some form of like, yeah, comfort device. Um, I find it interesting that it's a baby piano. That's the, that's a, I think that that's an important distinction. It's not a big okay. grand sounding piano. Um, right. It's sort of this odd thing. Because often piano, piano symbolism is with like the grandfather pianos, the really big mm. ones, not with these small little tiny, even children-like ones. Yeah. And I think...
1: I think it's meant to stand out in a room. A lot of people comment, why is this weird-looking thing in your office, for example? Yeah. But it's also a practical thing. There might like, be parallels.
0: Like, of course, he's not... He doesn't feel like a big grand piano. Like, mm. it's, it's he gets the small baby one that's kind of off-sounding and a little...
1: Yeah, I like the point you make that the key is off or it mm. doesn't sound quite right. Yeah. It blends into the soundtrack, so
0: Which is probably I, equivalent to his sort of how he feels about himself mm. for a big portion of the film.
1: I've seen people comment on how it's sort of like an artistic expression for him, which I don't know if I buy so much because mm. we don't really know him to be like an artist. No. Like he doesn't really express wanting to make music or paint or take a photograph like no. I I don't know if I buy that so much I think it's more simply like a you're right like a safety blanket I think that's a perfect sort of analogy yeah because even just yeah in moments of stress he just reaches well, out and la- touches it in the latter parts
0: of the film too it doesn't become as important um, that's a good point when he's starting to find that self confidence in yeah. himself starts so becoming more about well it Emily becomes a more yeah it becomes more a symbol of like his relationship with Emily Watson's character mm. Lena
1: well, it's the last shot as well is was him playing it and her yeah. sort of hugging him from behind was that <laughs> it yeah 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 no i i really i really do like that i want to do a bit of a uh, let's call it a case study zeke cool Sort of case because i i noticed this was my second viewing as well as i noticed distinctively there are two moments when barry is talking to someone who either he feels comfortable talking with or he's seeking comfort in talking to mm-hmm. so the first one is obviously when he calls you know he's on the call line yeah and obviously he wants to talk to someone who I imagine... He he wants to talk to someone who doesn't know who he is to seek that comfort. He's not going to you know make fun of him or belittle him. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I've noticed that that was sort of filled with her. And, you know, it's, it's a sex line, so it's, it's what you expect. She's trying to get something sexy out of the conversation and constantly talking to him. But I like that if you compare that or contrast that to his dinner conversation with Lena, where he actually gets to... I feel like he really is comfort because he's telling stories about... I think he was watching like a stand-up or something. Mm -hmm. He was retelling that story and laughing about it, but he's allowed to speak and she's intently listening to him. And I thought that was an interesting juxtaposition where he's worried that she won't reciprocate because she's heard the stories of him as a kid and the sisters have spouted and he's anxious about that.
0: I think think it comes mm -hmm. back to, yeah, it's just him trying to find a voice. Mm -hmm. Like his voice. Because he probably hasn't had the ability his whole life to have that opportunity. Yeah. Um, Because no one's ever liked him for who he is. He always has to be something else, or he has to act a certain way. And Mm. like he calls that line not out of uh, sexual loneliness, but out of like finding someone that. Well, it's literally to pay someone to talk to, really. Mm. Um, And that's the and and you know he. Suffers for it because of what happens in the sort of you know. So when he's having dinner with Lena, and Lena's actually you know yeah letting him uh, speak mm. and she's attentively listening, you can see that that's when he starts to grow that self confidence. Yeah, it starts to see that it wasn't he wasn't the problem.
1: I I it's such a classic case of a character who has a want and a need, mm-hmm. and usually the character wants what they want but they don't know what they need. Mm-hmm. And it's a classic case of he wants to have a chat with someone when that doesn't work, him having a chat with the call girl, but what he doesn't realize is that he actually needs to talk to someone who does have a bit of knowledge on his past and the sister's telling her stories, but doesn't really care about that. Mm -hmm. So I just thought that was a classic use of of, um, wants and needs right there.
0: No worries. Well, yeah. would you like to move into highlight scenes, or do you have anything else you'd um, like to add? I reckon we
1: can jump into some highlight scenes. Easy.
0: What was your highlight scene?
1: It was tough because I want to say every scene's my heart. This is easily <laughs> my favourite PTA film by a mile, despite you know um, it being probably your least favourite of his excellent films. But I, I think I mentioned earlier. I'll say it again. This when he's talking, or calling for the hotline service, and he's pacing and. It's all one shot, him giving his credit card information and watching it the second time, you're like, no, don't do it, don't Mm. do it. (laughs) Uh, And and again, the way the camera works with it, where when he sits down, he's so far to the left of the frame. And not only are we getting that level of anxiety when he's waiting for the the phone to ring him back, Mm -hmm. because that's just like a pure, I think everyone understands what that anxiety feels like. But then the camera repositioning so that it, it fits the table as if there was a second person standing in front of him I just simple camera tricks like that it's not even a trick it's a simple camera yeah. movement that has so much clear meaning behind it I I don't know I just and maybe I'm a sucker for that maybe I'm a sucker for films that has more obvious subtext mm-hmm. but I just I, don't, I think it works I think it works wonderfully and that might just be my highlight scene
0: no worries well i would have to say my highlight scene is probably that um first moment when he follows um lena to uh i believe it's a hawaii isn't it Uh, hawaii and um they have that moment and they have that obviously it's the poster shot the Uh, the silhouette but just that i think that summarizes um their relationship that that moment when they see each other and it does that thing like it did with the truck. It's like she starts really far away, but we mm. very quickly, um, like she's getting closer and closer, and he goes out to reach for his like handshake. <laughs> and she Imagine lands they, that kiss, you know, the
1: head shaking in that sea, and it's awesome.
0: And it's it just kind of plays their dynamic perfectly. Yeah, and we kind of see them. Yeah, we really do see the the summation of their love for one another in that, that whole experience in Hawaii.
1: Yeah. That's and a great scene. And, and watching it the second time, it, it felt And he explains
0: more... the pudding thing, the pudding thing.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, lo- I love that pudding side thing. Yeah. I guess, you know what, now that I think about it, they kind of do establish that it's going to work. He has to wait eight weeks for it to process, but it sounds like it's going to work. His plan of Yeah. ...infinite flight points. And he, and of course, tying it back to I'll fly with you wherever you're going. I can afford it, I guess. Oh, it. I think this is a brilliant, brilliant film. I just, I don't know what else to say about it.
0: Yeah, no worries. Well-punched, Drunk Love is currently out on Stan.
1: Yes, Stan. That's how I saw it both times. I'm sure it's out on DVD and Blu-ray somewhere. Of course. But, but speaking um, of streaming
0: it? services, Jake, what is new to streaming services and cinemas this week?
1: This week is a big week, Zeke. Mm. So hold on to your hats. Coming to Netflix, uh, 2067 is a sci-fi thriller in which Earth's air becomes unbreathable and a man must go on a dangerous mission to the unknown world to save the human race. Is that a yay or a nay for music?
0: Probably a yay because I like me a sci-fi film. Oh, cool.
1: Very nice. It could be Annihilation-esque.
0: Yeah. So yeah. yeah, I haven't heard anything about it. So yeah. I'll be intrigued to see if it's good.
1: <laughs> nice. I'm going to put a yay just because... it. It just sounds a bit generic, but you know, it, I'm sure a lot of sci-fi sounds generic on mm. paper and it's the execution that does the big deal. So that's fair enough. Animals on the on the Loose, a you versus wild movie, is an interactive film, much like Black Mirror Bandersnatch, which sees you making decisions to survive a pack of wild animals that are chasing you. I'm giving this a big yay because this is awesome.
0: <laughs> a big old yay.
1: Yeah, I'm going to click on it. Uh, all right. Coming to stand this week, you have the Liam Neeson film from last year, made in Italy, uh, which was in theaters then, it's already on stand, uh, as well as Diary of an Uber Driver, which is an Australian comedy drama series based on the ebook by Ben Phillips. Uh, does that sound keen for you? Diary of an Uber Driver? No. No? <laughs> Not for me. No. Okay. I don't know if I wanted it to be like a documentary or, or a narrative sort of thing. Mm. I actually don't know which I would have preferred. But it sounds like it's more narrative scripted. Yeah. So we'll see how that goes. Coming to Disney Plus is uh, Flora and Uresis sees an imaginative 10-year-old ten, cynic who believe, whose little squirrel is born anew as a superhero and has an uncanny knack for helping her and the lovable broken people in her life. That sounds very Disney Plus-esque. It does. <laughs> yeah. I'll probably be giving that one a skip myself. And new to cinemas, you have Firestarter, which explores the loss and reclaiming of culture, the burden of intergenerational trauma, and the extraordinary power of art as a messenger for social change and healing. That's a lot. It's a lot. And it doesn't really say anything, does it? <laughs> <laughs> now, this is an... It's ast- like an
0: introduction to a university essay.
1: <laughs> yes, the opening sentence, yeah. Um, this is an Australian documentary. My guess is that this is all in the, in the context of the Aboriginal people, which okay. makes a lot more sense. Uh, and it played at Revelation this past December, but it's getting a proper release uh, at Luna this week. Uh, and finally, Minari is getting its proper run at Luna. We've mentioned Minari many times already, mm. but it sees a Korean American family move to Arkansas farm to an Arkansas farm in search of its own American dream. Um, so I'm very excited for that. But um, uh, I reckon we're still at least a couple of weeks away from reviewing this film, Zeke. It's true.
0: We've got to... a <laughs> Got a little bit of a game plan for the next couple of weeks. Okay. Um, so we're not watching any of those films next week on the show. But, Jake, what are we watching?
1: Next week, we're watching The Hunt.
2: You can wait for a long time? Yes. There is no here. What Lucas! Hi. Kigger du lige ind i et ordning? Hvad, er hvad, er hvad er det, der er sket?
0: Ja, det kan jeg ikke sige. Måske det bedste, at du tager fri på par dage, så kan vi på, de her på pladsen stille rolig. roligt. <laughs> hvad har er hun nu fundet på, den lille bandit? Vi har desværre anledning til at tro, at der er sket grænseoverskridende adfærd imod.
2: Du skal ikke høre på, hvad de siger.
1: kindergarten teacher's world collapses around him after one of his students, who has a crush on him, implies that he committed a lewd act in front of her. Now, I saw this film a few years ago, Zeke, and I think it's incredible. I think this is a wonderful film. This
0: is, um, um, this is our next director's corner.
1: Yes, yeah, so this is a director's corner for Thomas Vintenberg or winterberg hmm. who uh, also directed Another Round, which we mentioned a lot today in our hmm. board's discussion. Yeah,
0: so we're going to Switch it up a bit. We're going to go for the. I'm assuming he's a Danish filmmaker. I'm going to take the guess. Sounds like it, yeah. Um, since it sounds like a lot of his films are made in that era, and there are a lot of really good films, and we haven't ever done a Danish film on this show. I
1: don't think so. No, we haven't really done a lot of uh, foreign language films. Period.
0: Yeah, so we thought we'd switch it up. Obviously, with another round getting a lot of buzz, um, hmm. and um, it currently can be out in cinemas. We'll have a look at it couple of his works hopefully if we yeah. can and we've also discovered hmm. sbs on demand has it for free so yeah
1: so i didn't know this I don't think either of us knew this, that sbs on demand is just a free service you have a few ads but you can yeah. watch all those films for
0: free so yeah it's a really cool lot of international films so that's a little sbs on demand plug i guess <laughs> Um, We'll see
1: how it is. We both literally just made accounts before we started recording.
0: Cool. Well, until then, thank you for joining us for the Cinema Solid Show podcast. I was Zeke. I was Jake. And we'll catch you next week with The Hunt.